have any of you ever trusted yourself to to power through a difficult situation and ultimately just end up making a royal mess of things? After my freshman year of college, I had an internship at the church my dad grew up at. It's a church where my grandparents go. And I was staying with my grandparents that summer while I worked at the church. But because they like to travel and not spend the winter and early months of spring in Canada, I actually arrived in Canada before they did. And for the first week or so, I was going to be living in their home, but by myself. Now, I quite enjoy solitude, so I was looking forward to my week of peace in my grandparents' house. But one evening, there was this particularly beautiful sunset. My grandparents' home overlooks a, a large river. It's truly a picturesque scene. And the best place to watch the sunset is from their balcony, a balcony that comes off of their room. So I walked up to their room, I opened their sliding door, walk outside onto the balcony to watch the sunset. But it was a little chilly that night, and I was only wearing a t-shirt and shorts, so I opened the door to go back inside. Well, I, I tried to open the door to go back inside, because somehow, in my excitement to watch the sunset, I had closed the door too hard and caused the latch to lock the door. And so I'm cold, I'm 20 feet in the air, and I'm locked out. But it's okay because I'm smart, I'm athletic, and I can get out of this situation. So I hurdle the railing of the balcony and spryly land on the roof. I shimmy down to the edge of the roof and I line up my approach onto the deck, hoping to land lightly and not fall straight through. And I jump from the roof and land with all the grace of an elephant with an ear infection, but I, I, I made it. I was on the ground and I was somehow still in one piece. I walk behind the house to the side door, which I knew was unlocked. But it was not unlocked. And so I walk to the gate that leads from the deck to the front yard, and I open it. Well, well, I, I try to open it, but it's stuck shut. So instead I climb it and I get to the front yard with all the neighbors watching me, thinking I'm breaking into my grandparents' house. And I make it to the front door. I jiggle the handle, and it's locked as well. And so I open the garage door through the number pad, and it actually opens. I close the garage door, and I head inside through the door that's inside the garage. Well, actually, no, that door was locked. So with the garage door shut and shivering because I'm so cold at this point, I take a long, introspective look at my situation, and I call my granddad. Hey, um... What's, what's the code for the interior garage door? I don't want to have to carry the, the, the keys with me. Oh, oh, okay, thanks, yeah. And so I played that one off beautifully. He has no idea what's going on. I punch in the code. I hear the whirring of the lock motor opening the door. I twist the handle. Still locked. So frantically, I type in the code again, whirring of the motor, locked. I grab the handle, and I begin throwing my shoulder against the door, but it will not budge. Because the cold of winter had sapped the batteries of the ability to open the lock.
And so with my back against the door, I slump to the ground and consider my options. And the only viable option at that point was to call my granddad again. Hey, um, so the reason I asked for the code to the door is because, because I'm locked out. When I actually realized I was in trouble and actually stopped trusting myself and I called for help, the situation was resolved. But it wasn't until I had trusted myself and exhausted every other option that I decided to call for help. But unsurprisingly, once I asked the right person for help, help was immediately supplied. And I think my rooftop escapade reveals something about our human tendencies. Often, we trust ourselves far too much. We give ourselves far too much credit. We overestimate our abilities. And when that trust and overconfidence in ourselves, when it begins to mingle with our spiritual lives, it has disastrous consequences. Because when you trust yourself more than you trust God, you don't pray. When you trust yourself more than you trust God, you don't ask for help. You don't pray. And so when you're not praying, it shouldn't come as a surprise when help doesn't come. When you keep banging your shoulder against the door, wondering why it won't budge, why you can't solve all of your problems and heartaches and difficulties, it shouldn't be a mystery as to why your efforts are unsuccessful. So today we're going to examine two parables in Luke chapter 18. They both teach us to trust God and his character rather than trusting ourselves. Because when you trust the nature of God, you will bring your cause before him in prayer. When you actually trust God and his character, you will bring your cause before him in prayer. So the first parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18 goes something like this. There's a judge who has a prominent role in the, the city. But the judge does not respect God. He also doesn't care about people. And in the same city, there's a widow who has been wronged. The widow comes to the judge and says, Give me justice. However, the judge, because he does not respect God or care about people, he refuses to grant justice to the widow. But the widow comes back the next day, and to the judge she says, Give me justice. And the next day, the widow shows up again and says, Give me justice. And this goes on for some time with the judge refusing to give her justice from the wrong that was done against her. Until eventually, the judge changes his mind. He says, I might not respect God. I might not care about people. But because this widow is continually pestering me, I will give her justice so that she does not drive me crazy by her nagging. Now this is how Jesus told that parable. 
Luke 18, starting in verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. It's a pretty short parable. But what are we supposed to make of that? It's short, so we expect it to be straightforward. And to some extent it is. What does the widow want? Well, she wants justice. Six times in this passage, a, a Greek root or a portion of a word regarding justice comes up. I mean, the theme is very clearly about justice. The widow wants justice. Well, how did she get it? She got justice by pestering and nagging the one who could give justice. And so do you see the conclusion that is right on the surface of this passage, screaming to us, pick me, pick me, pick me. I hope you see that conclusion. She, she wants justice. She gets it by nagging. But before we rush to that conclusion, which, by the way, is a very natural conclusion, I want us to slow down and make sure we have all of the information. Luke provides us with three clues that help us understand the meaning of this parable. There are three clues that help us understand the context that this parable falls within. There's a Lucan purpose statement, and there's Jesus' own explanation. So let's begin by looking at the context. Just a, just a few of the important verses that precede this passage. It was no mistake that we read the second half of chapter 17 earlier, because chapter 17 gives us a, a running start as we seek to understand the meaning of this parable. There is an explicit connection between the end of chapter 17 and the beginning of chapter 18. Look at verse 30 in chapter 17. Even so, or let me give you a little bit of context so we don't just dive right in. In the same way that God judged Sodom, and in the same way that God judged those who are not on the ark, in the same way will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Or in other words, Luke 17.30 is saying, When Jesus comes back, He will judge the earth the same way that Sodom and those who were not on Noah's Ark were judged, with great swiftness. Now, look at chapter 18, verse 8. I tell you that he, God, will avenge them, that's his people, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Or if we rearrange the word order just a bit to make it clearer, when the Son of Man comes, he will judge speedily. There's also a question tacked on to the end of that. 
which isn't helpful for what we're talking about right now. We'll look at that later. But here is the connection between chapter 17 and chapter 18, and it's twofold. Christ is coming again, and Christ will accomplish justice. Right? Chapter 17, when Christ comes, he will judge swiftly like he judged Sodom and those not on the ark. Chapter 18, when Christ comes, he will avenge his people by judging those who are not his people. And here's why that connection is a big deal. We, like the widow, live in a world that perverts justice. You don't have to get further than the homepage of your favorite news outlet to see that our world lacks justice. There are things that need to be made right. And then when we read a passage like this, we are so hasty to jump to conclusions. How do we get justice? Well, well, how did the widow get justice? She pestered God until he made everything right. right. And this text says Christ is coming again and he will make justice. So clearly we should pester him until he does what he has promised, right? Well, I'm not going to tell you to stop praying for Christ's return because you should be praying for Christ's return. It's one of the things that readies our hearts for that. But there's more to this passage than that. So let's look onto the second clue, which will help us understand the meaning of this parable. The second clue comes from Luke's purpose statement. You see, Luke has this tendency to explain exactly why Jesus said what he said. Look at Luke's precise purpose statement as he was given insight by the Spirit as to why Jesus told this parable. It comes in Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and pester God until he does what we want him to. Is that what it says? No, it says he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. In other words... Jesus told this parable so that you and I wouldn't give up praying when we don't see immediate results, particularly in the realm of justice. When we plead with God to make the world right and we experience delay, we have this parable to look back on and say, I shouldn't give up because there is hope. And yet when we look around and we see the world falling apart and growing increasingly hostile, what is our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is to lose heart, to give up hope. When God doesn't act as quickly as we want, we grow discouraged. So does our preliminary explanation still fit with what we've seen so far from these clues as to the meaning of the, pa the parable? When we want justice, we continually ask for it to make God give justice by pestering him. Well, yeah, it still kind of does fit. I don't need to get discouraged because God has promised to make justice when Christ returns. So if I just keep praying for God to make things right, then he will act. Yes, that still fits, but it also leaves us scratching our heads a bit because it's not a fully satisfactory answer. 
It's not as satisfying as we want. I mean, really? My hope for God acting rests on me pestering him? That pestering of God is what brings hope even during delay? Let's run that theory through a third test. And it's Jesus' own explanation. And this test gives us the, the clearest answer to the meaning of this parable. Jesus' explanation begins in verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Now let's pause and ask a question here. When we draw meaning out of this passage and we conclude that prayer will be answered if it is persistent enough and if we have enough faith and if we just don't give up, who are we drawing that conclusion from? Are we drawing that conclusion from the judge or from the widow? Because if your mindset is, if I just am persistent and I don't give up, you are making the widow the key to your prayer life. And you're missing the point because Jesus says, focus not on the widow, focus on what the judge said. So, what did the judge say? Look back at verse 4. And he would not give her justice for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Why does Jesus draw our attention to the judge's words? It isn't to make us focus on the persistence of the widow. It's also not to compare himself to the judge. But it's to contrast himself and reveal the vast difference in character between a loving, just, and merciful Heavenly Father and a wicked, unjust judge. If an unjust judge will eventually provide justice for a widow who he has no connection to, who he has nothing to gain from helping, then how much more eagerly will God answer the request of those that he holds closest to his heart? Persistence isn't the key. God's character is the key. That's why you don't lose heart. But here's the temptation that we often fall prey to. The temptation is to view God the same way as you view the unjust judge. You think that he is begrudging and that he is unwilling to help. And that leads to one of two things. Either you don't pray because you trust yourself to fix the problem, or you pray with the wrong attitude, trying to, to twist God's arm until he gives you what you desire because you think that your nagging is the key. And at that point, you're not trusting God. You're trusting your persistence. You're trying to manipulate God. 
And this passage is not teaching that persistence is some magical tool in your spiritual tool belt to manipulate God. No! This parable is teaching that you can trust God because he cares for you more than you'll ever know. Why would you give up on bringing your request to God when he is sitting on the edge of his throne, eagerly awaiting to hear your cry? Yes, there might be delay. But when you have a loving and righteous Heavenly Father who wants what is best for you, why would you trust yourself when you could trust Him? And that's why verse 7 asks two rhetorical questions. Shall not God avenge His own elect to cry out day and night to Him? Will He bear long with them? In other words, won't God do what is right for his own people? Is he going to delay forever? Yes, he'll do what is right. No, he won't delay forever. God is certain and eager to answer his children's cries for justice. So believer, you must trust him. Seek him in prayer. Don't trust yourself. that leads us to the difficult question that Christ asks in verse 8. Once again in verse 8, he affirms that he will avenge his own. But then he asks a probing question. When the Son of Man comes... Will he really find faith on the earth? Will Christ find that you actually trust him to answer your prayers? For him to make right every wrong, to make what is crooked straight, to make the rough places smooth? Will you have trust in the character of a loving father to keep asking him for justice even when it doesn't come immediately? Or, when Christ returns and he does make right every wrong, will he find that you were one of those who trusted in yourself, eventually grew discouraged, and then gave up all hope? Because I know when, when God tells us to wait for him to work on our behalf, it's frightening, it's devastating, and it's seemingly impossible to wait. The children of Israel experienced long delays in God's vindication and justice on their behalf. By the time Exodus 4 rolls around, the Israelites have been crying out to God for a hundred years because of their slavery and oppression in Egypt. And for all that time, God had been waiting to work. In large part, God was waiting because even though he will accomplish justice, he is still merciful to sinners in giving them time to repent. The Egyptians had time to repent. But from the Israelite perspective, that waiting was dragging on and on and on. And it looked like God was going to allow injustice to continue forever. Finally, God sent Moses to the Israelites to prove 
God had heard their prayers. God was ready to act. In Exodus 4, verse 31, we see the response of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. All that waiting, all that prayer, all that trust, all that belief that had been stored up for year after year as they begged God to deliver them, it made God's response all the more glorious. All those years worth of prayer and waiting and trust, they all overflowed out of the hearts and it drove them to worship God and to trust Him more. Believer, do not rush through the waiting and never give up praying to a trustworthy God who is eager to act on the behalf of His children. Because God is not like an unjust judge. He's a loving, trustworthy Father. And He will act when the time is right. So why would you ever trust yourself or your methods over a gracious and loving God? Now there's a second parable in Luke 18. And once again, Luke gives us insight as to why Jesus told this parable. Luke 18, 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. And Jesus goes on to tell the story. There's a respected religious leader who goes into the temple to pray. He stands in a prominent place and begins his prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a greedy cheat. I'm not a scoundrel. I'm not immoral. I'm not adulterous. I'm not a despicable tax collector like that one in the corner. In fact, I do great spiritual works for you. I go without food twice a week and I give you a cut of everything that I get. Amen. And as the respected religious leader is praying in the center of the temple, drawing attention to himself, a tax collector wanders into the temple and he finds a quiet corner to pray. And unable to even lift his head toward heaven because of the shame and the guilt that was weighing upon him, he pounded on his chest and he begged God saying, please have mercy on me, I am a sinner. Two men went up to the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. These are two different men. They are drastically different men. One, a Pharisee, a respected religious leader, and the other, a tax collector, a despised degenerate. And unsurprisingly, these two men offer drastically different prayers. If you just read the text of narratives and parables out loud, very often the speech of various people in those narratives and parables, they become incredibly revealing. I'm going to do that again in just a moment, but ask yourself a question as I reread two of these verses. What is the Pharisee doing in his prayer? Or maybe more precisely, what does the Pharisee ask for in his prayer? Listen carefully. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He prayed, God, I am so glad that I'm better than everyone else. And I'm especially glad that I'm not like that guy in the corner. I do so much spiritual stuff for you. I spend time praying when everyone else is eating. And I give you some of my stuff too. Did you catch it? What did the Pharisee ask for? He didn't ask for anything. In fact, the text goes so far as to say he wasn't really praying. He was saying some words for sure, but bragging about himself to God is not praying. The only time the Pharisee even mentions God is so that he can blow past the introduction of his prayer and start telling God about how awesome and how spiritual he's been the past month. Now contrast that prayer, if we can even call it that, with the prayer of the despised tax collector. God, I am a sinner. Show me mercy. And Jesus' explanation of this parable reverses the expectation of the crowd that he was talking to. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
the tax collector, because he didn't trust in himself. He got what he asked for. He was shown mercy. And yet there is something inside of our hearts that can find this parable bothersome. We expect God to listen to the religious Pharisee and not the despicable tax collector. And in part, that's probably because we think of ourselves to be quite religious like the Pharisee. You wouldn't be here today if you weren't religious. But here's the thing. God would have listened to the Pharisee. But the Pharisee trusted in himself so much, he didn't actually talk to God. And folks, when you trust yourself rather than God, you end up praying to yourself and not to God. Often it makes you cynical as well. You compare yourselves to others and see how terrible they are in comparison to you. And in the end, you get exactly what you ask for, which is nothing. While this parable has prayer in it, it's not really about prayer. This parable is about salvation. But there is great similarity between the two. When you trust in yourself, you don't pray. When you trust in yourself, you never turn to the Lord for salvation. And these two parables show us our great need to stop trusting ourselves. And so I am praying that 2023 will be the year that our church sees God bring many to the end of themselves. That people in our church would realize that their problems are far too great to be able to trust themselves to fix. Your marital problems, your depression, your longing for justice, your life-dominating sin, they are all problems far too big for you to fix on your own. But as long as you trust yourself, you won't get answers, you won't get help, and you won't have the faith that Jesus says he hopes to find when he returns to earth. Likewise, I expect that there are some of you here this morning who are much like the Pharisee. You are a respectable and a religious person. But at the end of the day, just like the Pharisee, you are trusting yourself and you have never cried out to Jesus to save you because you think you can do it yourself. And I pray for you that 2023 will be the year that you reach the end of yourself and you cast your feet, you cast yourself at the feet of Jesus, a Savior who died for you and your sins, and that you would say, Lord, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. How dreadful would it be that at the end of your life you hear Jesus say, this one was not justified because he 
trusted himself. Depart from me into the judgment that you have earned. Here's the hard truth. When you trust yourself, you are taking your life into your hands. And your life is far too precious, far too valuable to be entrusted to you in your finite strength. So entrust yourself to a gracious and loving Savior. Entrust yourself to a loving Heavenly Father who delights to hear you pray. Because when you pray, He is not begrudgingly sitting upon the throne with arms crossed because you keep bothering Him. No, He's sitting on the edge of His seat waiting to hear your voice and to act in ways that are far better than you could ever have hoped for. Trust Him with your cares. That wayward grandchild, that chronic illness, that longing for deliverance from a sin habit, bring it before the Father who will graciously work on your behalf. And if you find yourself this morning, just like that religious leader, trying to accomplish great spiritual works for God to earn your way into His good graces, well, just like that religious leader, you are bound to fail. Jesus explained it crystal clear at the end of our passage. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And until you stop trusting in yourself and you start trusting in Jesus alone to save you, you will stand under the just judgment of a holy God who will come with great speed and great severity. So entrust your soul to a loving Savior. In just a moment, the piano is going to start playing softly. I invite all of you to go ahead and stand with me. I believe there are many this morning who need to have a candid conversation with God. Because I believe there are many who have maybe unknowingly been trusting in themselves far too much. Your conventional wisdom, your common sense, it's led you to prayerlessness. Your good works, your spiritual feats has led you to reject Jesus alone. And in the quiet moments that lie before us, would you talk to God? Would you confess your reliance on yourself and would you commit to living a prayerful life of dependence? maybe there is someone who needs to turn to Christ as their Savior. I invite you to pull on the sleeve of someone next to you, to find a friend, to find a pastor, that we could talk with you and share with you the glory and the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. As the piano plays now, would you quietly do business with God?
Father, we thank you this morning for your word. There is so much from your word that we need to hear. Lord, we need all of it. This morning we took just a, a, a tiny slice of it. But every single verse, every single word has life-transforming truths. And we ask that your spirit would take your word and would accomplish a great work. Lord, I pray for those who struggle to trust you as much as they should. Lord, for those who are prayerless, I pray that this year that you would cause their faith in you to abound and it would drive them to their knees. That they wouldn't view you as a begrudging judge, but as a gracious father. Revelation shows us that you store up our prayers and they are a sweet-smelling scent to you. So Lord, help us not to trust ourselves, but to stay constant in prayer before you. And I pray for any of those who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you would convict them and that you would draw them to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.